Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. This new contract here at Arsenal, but what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Ugh, come on, it's Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to your obviously happy to be the Eggy's Lockdown, Goal Scorer, and Arsenal podcast with Alexander Maddipani, my very good friends, Bradley Adams and George B. Premier League football returns this weekend. I'm so excited. Uh, so, so excited. However, we do have some very, very exciting news to announce right at the top of the podcast, and that is that Spurs are shit. That's an exclusive. Uh, this, I, I don't think that there's that's news, my friend. It's an exclusive. It's an exclusive. I've just had it in from one of my Sky sources, Catch Up in the Sky with Diamonds, and uh, I've heard... <laughs> And I've heard that Spurs are shit. Uh, we must get to the news because I'm, I am gagging, itching, gagging to talk about Antonio Conte sacking George. Uh, you sat there patiently while Brad and I've been faffing around with microphones. <laughs> give us your, <laughs> give us your hot take on Conte's uh, inevitable sacking. Well, um, it, it was bound to happen. Um, it was something that I felt kind of justified for because I feel as though a lot of Arsenal fans have had to justify this entire Arteta project for quite a while. And I just think it's probably the most public domino to fall about how a rebuild should be done. I mean, there was a lot of people that have had this theory uh, based on what experience gives you. And, you know, you had a very good intro to Harry Kane, but I would argue you could kind of throw in that kind of English accent into most old dinosaur narratives of he's got experience. You know, he's he's won trophies before. And it's just, he's a proven uh, winner. He's a proven, yes, all of those fun stuff. And uh, ultimately, what this shows is that if you don't buy to a philosophy, if you don't buy to a project or a stable um, kind of uh, almost vision, then nothing is ever going to work. It's almost as sturdy as a house of cards. And that's really what Antonio Conte is at this moment in time, but also what Spurs have always been uh, for the entirety of their football club. So it's just been a lot of very fun uh, laughing at your partner who is, you know, not really your partner, but they like to think they are. It also shows, George, fundamentally that um, Spurs are shit. I think that's what it. I think what it what it all concludes. I think they've had twenty managers since they last won a trophy. Twenty. I think they've had twenty since two thousand and eight. I think. Come so. on. Yeah, because they went through a big old hire and fire, didn't they? They've been through the the ring. 
I'm googling it. Twenty managers. I, thought, I think I okay, saw that a, on Twitter. Tottenham. Give it a Google. Give it a Google. Jeez. Give it a Google. Mate, unbelievable scenes. I was absolutely buzzing when I woke up this morning, and we sort of knew it. We saw obviously, you know, it, it was inevitable, but it was just such a fun little thing to wake up to. Um, I, I, I have to say, I found. Oh no, that's definitely not true. It's like ten. Oh, what is it? Okay, still funny. One, two, um, three, four, five, six. Seven, the the yeah. the beautiful irony in that clip of uh, Antonio Conte at the end of last season talking about Mikel complaining too much, which I'd totally forgotten about until it resurfaced today. And then you just the the thing is, it's kind of what Brad, it's kind of what George said though, isn't it? It's like you know, it's inevitable. I think I was tweeting about this like a year ago. I'm sure other people were. Like it was always going to happen. If you if you don't buy in, if you don't have an aligned philosophy, as we're seeing more and more in football these days, it's just all going to fall down like a pack of cards, as, as George said. Absolutely. And if you give me 30 seconds to substantiate this point, I also want to dispel the myth that Antonio Conte was not backed with certain players because I'm seeing a lot of excuses being made uh, by Tottenham fans for why they haven't been successful and levying it at their board um, and I I don't understand it you look at what Daniel Levy right has taken that club from obscurity from nothing and they're now somehow being branded as part of the top six like that is an achievement for a club that hasn't won a trophy in nearly what will be what 15 years and has had 47 managers since then yeah they've had 47 managers it's been 15 years and like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then if you, I, I can, I can substantiate this claim now. You look at the amount of money that they've spent: uh, sixty million euros on Richarlison, and that's not even with the added ten million that comes zero prem goals in add-ons. Zero, zero prem uh-uh. goals. Fifty million pounds on Christian Romero. Thir- um, Thirty million on Basuma, who doesn't get into their midfield. Twenty, uh, like twenty million on this Destiny Udigi, who's gone back out to Udinese, 15 million on Jed Spence, 45 million on Pedro Porro. Then you go, and that's just, that's literally just this season. You go to, ne- to last season, they've, you, you you include the mood, the money for Kulisevsky in there. The fact that they've spent 25 million and Lamella on Brian Hill and he's back at Sevilla on loan. They spent 20 million on Bentoncourt, f- f- like 17 million on Saar, 25 million on Emerson Royale. Um, and you, you you get this this story fed to you that somehow in the last however many years Spurs have not injected enough money to rebuild their backline. Like they bought Reggie on a couple of seasons ago for thirty million. Where the fuck's he now? Matt Doherty. How many defenders do do they need to buy at the bequest of their managers before it becomes the manager's fault that that not that player is not working? Like. All of those players, like Perisic, like they have spent so much money, so much money, and they're still shit. And I don't understand this defense of Conte. My instinct is always to like try and try and defend it or find a find a fix find a fix for it. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm going to go against my better judgment and just say (laughs) Spurs are shit. And what's so funny as well is like. I mean, I, I, I hope they don't get Nagelsmann. I mean, I, I mean, imagine the conversations between Daniel Levy and Nagelsmann. I mean, like, ridiculous. But <laughs> look, you know, if it happens, it happens. But I mean, ultimately, 
If you're Nagelsmann, though, you look at that current situation, you look at the fact that as much as the whole the whole idea of, of proven winners is a fallacy and a myth in football, the fact that Mourinho, the only club he's never what he never won a trophy with was Tottenham. I'm pretty sure it, it, it like if you look at Conte's record, it's it's near the same. Like these two are, and especially because of the style of football that they play, it, it's almost like cup speciality because you can dig in, dig deep. You only have to win a game at a time. Like they've gone there and failed. If you're Nagelsmann and you're looking at the situation with Madrid, you know, Ancelotti, unsure whether he will still be there. Um, Simeone might not be at, at Atleti next season. Um, okay, you're out of a job at Bayern Munich. Uh, I don't know any of the situations in Germany, but you look at the fact that um, PSG could be needing a manager soon or or you go um, to Italy. You know, Juventus might get rid of Allegri. There are so many situations that could come up in the next three to six months that there is no way that you hitch your wagon to a squad that has been built so poorly and has like has like hitched itself to a horse that can no longer walk in human son and Harry Kane. Like that partnership does not exist and does not work anymore. It just, it, it it's, you don't, I, I will be so shocked if Nagelsmann agrees to take that job before seeing how cards play out elsewhere. They will be, this is, this is going to be another 10th men, 10th man on the, on the shortlist. They're going to get all the way down to Roy Hodgson and poach him from Crystal Palace. And that's what they're going to end up with. And it's going to be hilarious. Hello, it's Daniel. Daniel Levy. Hi. Should I call you Julian or Julian? Oh, he's gone. Anyway, Spurs are shit, uh, and that's all that needs to be said. Look, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, what we're doing today. We're doing um, we're doing a mailbag. Uh, we're doing what's called running out of content and relying on your audience <laughs> to provide the content. <laughs> but we're doing Classic. a mailbag. Uh, but before we do that, uh, two, uh, well, three relevant bits of uh, information. Firstly, if you haven't, Go and check out the previous podcast on this feed. It is with George. He does an incredible breakdown of 10 of our most exciting Academy prospects. If you haven't listened to that, it is a properly good listen. George is a genius. You for be a licensed coach. I don't know if we mentioned that on this podcast, but he is. Um, and uh, he's incredible. However, George, we've had a lot of uh, te- uh, <laughs> texts. What are we? Fucking radio station. We've had a lot of tweets in questioning your pronunciation of Requelm. Requelm? Requelme. Requelm. <laughs> Are you standing by Requelm? I'm standing by it. I've got to. I've, I've got to stand by it. Uh, you know, uh, that, that is the Canadian in me, and it is not the last time I will mispronunciate a name. So I've got to stand by <laughs> it. Mispronunciate. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the third thing is, uh, news came out today that um, Saka's contract might end up being something like £300,000 a week. I don't know whether it's w- worth discussing it particularly, but George, I thought a point you made on Twitter was, was bang on. That's cheap. For, for, Very for, cheap. For, like, for, the, for what we're getting, that is cheap. And I know it sounds, you know, it, ultimately it's a massive jump. Uh, from his previous contract, ultimately, it's it's putting him in line with the league's top spenders. Not even actually, you know, it's putting him near near the league's top spenders. But considering what we're getting in terms of output, I do think it's an important thing to say that that is that's a good deal. Whatever, whatever, whichever way you slice it. 
Do you want to know what it'll also be? Absolute bullshit. Because they'll have included every add-on, every signing-on fee, like every payment for his mum's petrol ever in the last 20 years and totaled it up into this arbitrary number. Like that's, that's it's what they did with Inketia. It's what they do with every contract. Sorry, that the, the, the fuel on the fire just got to me a bit there. No, no, I, I think it's very pertinent, guys, because I, I made the point on Twitter, I think it's extremely cheap. When you have a look at his competition within the league, what, Jaden Sancho on higher, Jack Grealish on higher, um, the, the contracts that have already been made are much higher than £300,000 a week for even just wingers, let alone um, you know a 21-year-old burgeoning talent. I guarantee you, if you were to ask, Bukayo Saka is at least, by everybody's standards, top three and I think he's number one in the world, but he's at least top three in his position in the world. And so if you were to apply that standard to any other winger that is kind of a U23 winger, what are they getting at the top clubs? And £300,000 a week inclusive of bonuses is incredibly cheap. Like, I don't know how we managed to finesse this, and we really have. And you know what's even better is the fact that when you start to consider what does this mean for our targets in the summer, we have a concrete level of the superstar treatment at Arsenal with Bakayo Saka, best in his position, you know, a young player that has the world at his feet, and he is getting at maximum £300,000 a week, which is roughly probably 200 to 250 base salary. That's the limit that your Declan Rice, your, your big superstars, that if you're going to ask to join Arsenal, that's what we're going to demand because we have but somebody that has just agreed to do it. I don't think people will realize how cheap this deal is, particularly in the next five years. Like, if you look at even 18 months out, what will a 21-year-old winger go for on the market that is the best in his position? What will Vinicius Jr., if he was to get on the market, let's say, a Rafael Leao, we drop those names. What, what can they demand in this market? Well, Bukayo Saka said at Arsenal, in the best league in the world, let's say, in terms of what most people say, that limit is £300,000. It's incredibly cheap, guys. It's incredibly cheap. And I think that we don't give enough praise to Edu and the backroom staff for their negotiation, and they deserve it. They deserve it in spades. Yep, I think you're bang on. And um, I was doing a, some bonus content for YouTube today and looking at our old negotiation structure and looking at like host Farmy and looking at... Um, you know, what's changed behind the scenes and looking at... We just recently announced a new assistant sporting director in Jason Ito, new head of recruitment in... Um, You'll probably know James Ellis, um, and uh, you know we're we're really firming up this kind of football intelligence unit, and it's it's coming to fruition. I mean, ultimately, all of that work we did, stripping out the scouting, all that work we did, getting our recruitment right, all that work we did, getting our wages back down, means so we could pay our actual best players the right level of wages, and that's what what is happening here. So, you know, it's 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 look. It, I'd say cheap. It's not cheap, is it? It's three hundred thousand pounds a week, for goodness' sake. But you know, relative to to what we're talking about, um, it's in line and it's uh, it's completely understandable. So you know, credit to him. And you know, just to hammer home that point again, what's he on at the moment? Fifty, eighty. I, I, I don't know something like that. The the jump that he's made is pertinent or or perhaps um, emblematic of the jump in quality he's made and the and the improvement that he's made. If you look look at him for England now, other than Kane. You could argue he's the main guy for, for for his country at 21 years old. You know, this guy, just because he's played for us and we've seen him come through the last, you know, four or five years, seeing this 17-year-old absolutely explode onto the scene, um, a bit like Mika Richards bursting onto the scene, you know, there is a a kind of, there is a, a kind of, um, what's the word, 
fatigue or kind of grass is always greener thing or like we just get used to someone don't we but realistically we have to remind ourselves that we are dealing with one of the most talented young players in the world and that is incredible george you sure you don't want to go back on rick helm it's your last chance no i'm going to stick with it um okay let's get to a few questions we'll go to our patrons first because we love our patrons and if you'd like to become a different member then you can sign up at patreon.com robert hartz asks a very important question did the police ever get back to you about brad's hard drive (laughs) he also asks (laughs) What's our prognosis of Emil Smith-Rowe in the team? Does slash will he fit nicely now he seems back and where? Interesting one. Um, And yeah, actually, George, I'll come back to you on this one because Mikel, I I don't know if anyone saw this, but a couple of weeks ago, Mikel was asked, I think pre-sporting, it could have been pre the home or the away match, but it was certainly in in a a Europa League conference, about Smith Rowe and he had some quite interesting comments and they weren't entirely positive there was something along the lines of his and you know sometimes when you read something you think it's positive so I went and watched the video and and it's kind of in line with what he says he says something like he's going to have to prove that he that he deserves time in this team and we all kind of knew that but I think it's the first time possibly that I can remember, maybe I'm wrong, that Mikel has really called, uh, called Smith-Rowe out. I think the thing that he's always said about Smith-Rowe is his desire, is is his mentality, his kind of effort in training has never been a problem. It's just a case of getting himself fit, getting himself consistent and, you know, all that sort of stuff. He's never really pushed for him to be like, show me in the same way that he has with um, with other players. So... What does that say to you, I guess, as a, as a starting point? And then secondly, uh, I've always, or certainly for the last sort of six months, 12 months or so, felt as though as we're moving to a kind of numberless, um, positionless-ish, not quite, but you know you know what I mean, sort of heading that direction, the system, Smithrow can be useful to us in a number of positions. Do you have a position that you think he's most important in? And do you believe it's worth a player as it maybe would be 10 years ago, going, this is my main position. Because, you know, you get the likes of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Nancy Maitland-Niles who kind of have had a career of going, oh, they just never found their best position. And I wonder whether Smith-Rowe is coming into a generation of footballers who don't need to do that and will get the minutes anyway, um, but could affect his reputation. So it's a kind of fine balancing act. There's uh, about four minutes worth of question. Go. <laughs> yes. Um, so w- what do I think on the entire Mikel Arteta challenging Emil Smith-Rowe? I think um, Mikel has done this to quite a bit of players, by the way, in terms of trying to reach them. And he talks a lot about it on his uh, interim uh, interviews when he tries to talk about psychology and the role that that plays. I definitely think that this is a way for him to try to reach Smith Rowe. And if I'm really honest with you, a lot of his recent quotes, that is Emil Smith Rowe's recent quotes, it seems to have worked. I mean, when you start talking, looking at some of the recent interviews about him looking at focusing about trying to get himself into the team and being very motivated, it has given a reaction out of him for sure. And I think that it has a little bit more to do with um, kind of the challenge that this team is setting because they are overachieving with it. And I think a lot of people on Twitter have made the point that this bus is moving and they want him to get on it. Uh, but ultimately, he has to prove himself. Now, there's there's a couple issues that I've got 
with the proving part because I feel as though we all know the talent and to almost dismiss what he did in terms of getting us out of the doldrums with Bukayo Saka back at, you know, 2020, you know, people forget he was consistently available and I'm very hesitant to not put injury with lack of lifestyle or application. That is the one gap that I don't think Mikel is necessarily doing, but more so challenging the fact, listen, you've got Martin Odegaard in your place. If you're going to go and get in ahead of Martin Odegaard in midfield, your preferred position, you have to attack it quite well. He, he got an, a surgery right now that was not from a lack of lifestyle choices or from a lack of personal development. It was purely growth. It was purely an injury that he sustained um, you know, from from a lack of physical development. That that's what it is. So I don't want to conflate kind of motivation and lifestyle influences with injury to 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 a player. Now, in terms of what is his best position, I've always been very clear. I felt that he's a right sided uh, eight. I very much felt that that dynamic that we saw very briefly um, with Bukayo Saka against Sporting is something that I've always wanted to see, and I felt that he offers you a much different profile in the midfield. Uh, for yes, running power, get your bingo cards out. Um, you know, he provides the <laughs> very literally def- about to be like, does he by any chance have a central running power? Just as a, as a, you know, a, a potential. <laughs> well, well, absolutely. Look, he he is one of the few players that we have fundamentally. When people talk of replacing Emil Smith Rowe, I always ask, well, what are you replacing? Because he's a profile that we currently lack in the midfield department. Whether you, when you look at Odegaard, Shaka, even Fabio Vieira. Emil Smith-Rowe provides something very, very different. And, you know, his prowess and his off-the-ball running, which he displayed, by the way, for the international break with a beautifully timed run um, and goal with just a header. But, you know, it's, it's the intelligence in and around the box and the efficiency. When we're talking about Arsenal right now, we always question, at least currently in this team, there's a lot of great things we do, but efficiency in the final third is one of the few things that does lack with this young squad. And he is a player that constantly produces that. Now... Is that enough to just put yourself in the team? Absolutely not. But for me, it it seems very weird to want to not see what this player who has shown us his potential has proven it to us in multiple seasons and has actually done it not just at an average level, but at at an insane level. I think people are forgetting he led Arsenal's top goal-scoring charts for eight months (laughs) as a midfielder. That is not, uh, you know, abnormal. If you're trying to buy that on the market, that's 80 million pounds. And so... For me, it doesn't make sense to throw that away. It also doesn't make sense to just give him a platform and say, listen, based on potential, mate, you're going to be starting. So there's a fine balance. I think Mikel is striking that balance. For me, he's a right central eight, um, but he also can play on the left for me. I don't think that there's a bias left or right. I just prefer him on the right um, because of the angles that he creates with his more dominant foot. Um, But for me, he is absolutely a midfielder. there is versatility to the left wing. There is versatility to a false nine. But I don't believe that that's maximizing his skill set in buildup. And I think that there's a lot that we haven't seen and we've seen glimpses in, namely his performance against Brentford last year, uh, which went under the radar because of how poor that game went. But his individual number 10 performance was some of the best and most fluid I've seen from that position. And it excites me. So uh, let's keep him. Let's get him fit. And then let's evaluate because it's not a question of talent. It's a question of fitness. Yep. No, George, I think you speak a lot of sense. And, and Brad, I want to come to you and get your sort of overall take on it. But yeah, two things really. I, I, I suppose I suppose with Smith Rowe, 
it's tricky because these things feel like almost existential, don't they? When we're when we're speaking about this, we're speaking about you know Smith Rowe's future and all this sort of stuff. Two games where he starts in a certain position. Say he starts number eight, and Erdegaard shifts to left eight. We win both games. We we go oh we found our future right side of eight, and this is it, and this is the future, and everyone's building their you know dream elevens with Smith Rowe at, at number eight, and you know everyone's saying well this is the, be the team for the next ten years. Things change so so quickly in football, so this this idea this is almost existential uh, concern about Smith Rowe I don't share. I suppose the concern I I have is I look at the pathways in the team. And I go, okay, but where is he going to get that? Where is he going to establish himself if he gets the opportunity? And Brad, I want to come to you because, as I say, I'm looking at, I'm I'm in agreement with George. I think I'd like to see Smith Rowe centrally. Um, He has something called uh, uh, central running, central, uh, central running power. power. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's it. No, but like, look, he's an incredible ball carrier, combines really well, lovely third man runs. Like he's, he's, he could be perfect for that role in, in many different senses, right? But then we've got Martin Odegaard there. We've got Fabio Vieira there. We signed last summer. We've got players coming through. um, And I don't think Ethan Nyanueri is going to let him take that lightly. So, you know, and I agree that he's, he's, he's not going to be our left winger. So I think he is going to take one of those two, uh, central slots but at the moment I don't see which one he takes so it's a real fun balancing act as I say things can change so quickly and then I want to get your take on that and also get your take on the idea that I think also as George alluded to we fill in the blanks as fans don't we we go okay well yeah. if he's not getting in the team that means he's and then we see rumours on Twitter about whatever look some some of these rumours could could even be true but we also got to remember these guys are so young like you know that maybe they are going out and having a party it's like so what like <laughs> It's, not, it's you know it's one night or whatever um and then it becomes a big deal and it sort of follows you around like a bad smell right so i think there is a certain element with smith Rowe where he's just kind of going through his his growing up uh he's, he's going through his growing pains which which he's going through physically and sort of i guess in terms of his his reputation but yeah thoughts on that and thoughts on your thoughts on smith Rowe generally um i think it's and if it's... i don't hear the word smith if i don't hear the word central running power i i'm get kicking you off the show well as george said the profile is unique. We don't have anyone currently that adds that central running power. There you go. There's your little, there's your bingo card. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really moronic to be like even considering this right now. It's so stupid. Like, what are we doing? This man was one of our top goal scorers last season. And as much as I, I understand your idea about um, pathways, but he is so wonderfully versatile. Okay, his best position might not be out on left wing, but he can certainly do a good job there. He might not be a perfect false nine, but give him six months with Trossard and Gabriel Jesus, who could teach him how to play that role. And he could definitely do a job there because, you know, as George said, he's more efficient than both of them. Uh, when it comes to finishing anyway. Um, and then central midfield, we've got, Odegaard, Vieira, Xhaka's future probably isn't much for long. You know, there's there's talk of Declan Rice, but that's probably more long-term at six than it is at eight. And if we go far in certain competitions, we could play upwards of 70 games next season. Do you know how many thousands of minutes that is in those th- in those two central midfield slots alone? Let alone if you consider the fact that he can grab some minutes at left wing and at false nine. I think that the idea that the... the, the 
the squad is too congested for him is just not correct. And then the idea that he's not talented enough um, because he has had to take some time out to get to get back from an injury. Again, it's just not correct. I don't know how these conversations come up. It's because Arsenal fans, we have this shiny new toy syndrome and we're looking at Fabio Vieira going, maybe he's the future in midfield and it's not. All of these things can be true. You need different profiles. And if you look at that Man City midfield, Bernardo Silva does not play the same way that Ilkay Gundogan does, does not play the same way that Kevin De Bruyne does. And they don't play the same way that Phil Foden does when he plays in a more central space. So having different profiles means you have different weapons to pull out and there is no point selling a weapon because it's had a tough nine months. And if I had had gone from being one of the poster boys of Arsenal, you know, chance ringing out my name, being the leading goal scorer for months and months and months to then a really difficult nine month period of my life where I haven't been able to play pretty much any football the one thing that I probably do and really love doing because it's my job. Um, and I'm ha- I'm going to be throwing some parties. I'm going to be trying to find things to fill that time in my life. So there isn't a void there. We all do that as human beings. And I think that it is not the time to be turning our back on somebody who kickstarted the move that means that we now, over the last 90 Premier League games are only second to Man City in terms of points accrued. And he is the catalyst that changed that for us. You know, Saka obviously was a big part of it too. But if we look at where that form changed, it comes in that Boxing Day game where we introduced Smith-Rowe in the 10 roll. So I I think Smith-Rowe is an unbelievable talent. I think that he could just as easily become one of our midfield eights and then Vieira is the one that rotates around. Because you you don't there's no there's no linear. I think we we often as as fans see everything as linear in that we think okay, Erdegaard is getting better like this, so he will just continually get better like this until he reaches his like peak age and then he'll decline. No, that just never happens. Bukayo Saka might have a really really early peak, and then because what we've seen with Wayne Rooney with Jack Wilshere have a massive drop-off in his early 30s because of the amount of football. Like what's happening to Raheem Sterling now, because of the amount of load in their legs, they cannot keep up with the physical demand. That is something that could well and truly happen. So we can't just write off all of these assets because we're in some way just adding this linear model to every single player's progression. And because he's dropped so far down, he's going to continue dropping down. It's just not the way it works. Um, and I think that we need to start being a bit more um, objective and honest about things as fans when it comes to these situations rather than reactionary. Because there are players, like there are Arsenal players. I think you make a lot of very, very good points. The The only thing I'd push back on is about the, the I'd still feel like the pathways is an issue I suppose more about establishing himself I think he could absolutely establish himself as a as a player who who plays in a number of different positions as you know it could be argued that Phil Foden hasn't necessarily established himself in a, in a certain position he's established himself as a player but not necessarily as Phil Foden the false nine or Phil Foden the whatever um 
And I think that's a big thing for a player's development. So I, I'd like to see him given a, a run somewhere, maybe, um, and see what he does. But look, it's as about skill set, th- isn't things, it? Things, things, exactly. Like, and, like and you things said, aren't linear. Like, like you said, play. I think we're moving to a system that that gives less of a shit about what what position you're meant to be in and what it's more about what skill set you want in what zone. So develop the skill set rather than the position. And then it doesn't matter where you put him because you'll have that skill set to insert in the zone that you need. Here's a question that I'd I'd like to respond just to that. Because when we bought Ben White and bar the weirdo on Twitter, George VAOC, who said he could be a right back, who felt that there was the versatility (laughs) to that position when we first bought that? Uh, player you know a lot of people said that you know yes he's a right he's a right center back he's an excellent center back with potential but how many people said what's his versatility to it very few people i would argue um when you start looking at some of the other players that we've talked about thomas Partey himself um you know central midfield was kind of his main position we bought him repurposing him into a six is something that Mikel has done wonderfully um when you talk about players that have moved positions within the squad alone there's no bigger one than Bakayo Saka and the very infamous, but he's a left back um, claims. So, but he's a left winger, but he's, but he is, no, he's, he's actually Clarence Seedorf in terms of a midfielder that he could be. And, and by the way, I don't mean some of that facetiously. He definitely has those traits, but I just don't understand the claim to target a young player um, into a particular position, given that we operate in a positionless system that has been kind of reiterated uh, for so many years, and, and by a, a manager, by the way, who kind of values that um, versatility himself. I mean, he, he he kind of prides himself on being able to mismatch people and putting them in positions that maybe you wouldn't expect. Zinchenko, he's not a traditional left back. He really is a midfield controller, if we're really going to be technical about where he operates. So there's a lot of abnormal positions in this Arsenal squad that I think Mikel values, so I never understood this... Uh, desperation to kind of pinpoint a position for him for me ultimately as much as it is he is a very unique player that solves a hole as long as you do that in this squad whatever it may be wherever it may be on the pitch I really don't care that's not the type of player that I'd look to move on I normally identify are you a burden on the wage bill are you uh, not solving a hole are you replicating things that we already have in the squad if you've got yeses to any of those answers then I'm very open to considering a sale but if you're not doing that and you're still a youngster that, let's keep in mind, again, has saved Arsenal, because I keep thinking that that gets forget, forgotten for a lot of fans. He has absolutely saved us with Bakayo Saka. I struggle to see why that you want to push that out the door. I do think a little bit is he's injured and therefore we must find a way to move on. Because there's a little bit of injury PTSD, in my opinion, that happens with Arsenal fans in general. Um, and it's not to say that it's misplaced. But I think it's projected into many players, not just Emil. Yeah, you see the Sun headlines with Arsenal Croc, <laughs> and then like Smith Rowe on the floor, just flashbacks to Jack Wilshere and stuff. Also, one day, George, I'm going to make an audio dictionary, and I'm going to take the first sort of 10, 15 seconds of what you just said and put that under humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who was saying it? Who was saying it? <laughs> No one. George V was. Don't know about you, this guy. But George V was. George V, that's me. By the way, I'm George V. Just to be clear. You have to be. Before just we go. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just, just to be clear. Before we go to the break, um, I just want to do a bit of a fun question. 
Oh, fun one. Oh, fun. Fun, oh, friends. fun friends. Fun football, fun oh. friends. Oh, having fun on football friends, podcast friends. Alex Osborne asks, I'd love it if you could do some player comparisons from our current squad to some of our legendary players. I think that could be great. So, uh, give me one player in the current squad that reminds you of a legendary player. Ooh. For me, I think, because uh, I've had time to think about this, uh, so I'll, I'll give you guys <laughs> give you guys a second rather than sort of uh, springing it on you. I think Ramsdale reminds me of some of the proper old school English defenders in a way, the kind of Lee Dixons, the Tony Martin Adamses, Keown. the Martin Keowns, those guys, like is very relatable, is very... Uh, almost feels local. I, I know he's from up north, but he feels like he's from North London. Um, been watching loads of interviews with him recently. I hope as he, uh, I again recently been doing some research into him for a video. I think he's at least one of, if not sort of top three, top five, uh, the best under twenty five keepers in 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 the world. I think he's on course to be a, a, an extraordinary uh, keeper for Arsenal. I think as his star grows, I hope he stays this way. But I think he's so down to earth. I really like him as a personality. I think he's very, um, very sort of uh, feels like he knows when the right time to say the right thing is um, and isn't too sort of um, up in defeat and isn't too down. uh, Sorry, isn't too down in defeat and isn't too up in victory and is kind of pretty level headed as much as he has that kind of passion. And, you know, I've seen some, some people say they don't like the fact that he says that he doesn't like training but I think you can see he loves it on a match day and that's the sort of like for me especially as a keeper being up for it on a match day and being like just having that extra two three percent on a match day I think is so important and I think on a person like personality wise he really reminds me of those kind of old school beat your chest kind of diehard defenders and to be honest I think I think every team needs a bit of that I think you can go too far that way but I think every team needs a bit of that have either of you got one you go, George. If, if you've got one, I've got. I, 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 I'm, I'm playing. I'm trying to pick the, the my my favourite player other than Thierry Henry from that era is Robert Perez, and so I'm trying to pick the Robert Perez of this squad. Well, I've I'm got just... some more outdated. Like we made the Trossard to Santi Cazorla um, comparisons, which I really stand yeah. by. Uh, of course, the Sambi Lakanga for me. I've said for a long time, he reminds me of Alex Song. Um, Alex you know, maybe Song, not one of our. Maybe not one of our most decorated players, but uh, it strikes me same cons, same pros, um, you know, especially grown out. Um, even but, the gloves, even the even gloves, the gloves. On a cold day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so those are some nice comparisons. But I, I think when I, when I go to the squad and I try to find somebody that's very, very similar. Uh, this I, is more than one, but you know. Yes, this is, this is more it. I, 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 <laughs> I think that, you know, for me, Gabriel uh, Martinelli, he kind of reminds me of some of the Freddie Youngberg uh, early days when he, he was definitely somebody that would go off the ball, um, somebody that would attack space. And questions about him moving central were very prime with you know Freddie because he himself was somebody that had just a knack for scoring goals, being very efficiency driven. But he himself was just so weird in the way that he was an off the ball kind of uh, output machine when everybody else in the Invincibles era was an on-the-ball stud. There was really that kind of dichotomy, uh, and he was just as efficient. When you talk about the Robert Perez and you look at the comparisons, I think you know Robert Perez got a lot of the uh, credits, and you know he should. He had an amazing season. 
but Freddy was a very unsung hero, and I think that we are doing a better job in this era of appreciating efficiency than we did in previous eras. So I will make those comparisons for me. I want to, I want to, I want to do one for Ben White and just somebody who just didn't give a shit and just came out. But I just can't. I, like it's really, really difficult because there's so many characters in this squad that, and this is a real cop out. Because my my first instinct before you said it, Alex was Keon and Ramsdale. They seem very, very similar on on the pitch as well. Similar figureheads at points, but even had a similar moment really, with Man United penalty takers. Exactly, exactly, and. Um, I I think it's one thing that's really difficult is a lot of our star players are are establishing themselves as their own personalities and it's really difficult like and because football has changed so much it's really difficult to to compare play styles and you know it's been 20 years um but I mean Gabriel yeah Gabriel is another one of those Gabriel Magalhaes that rem- reminds me of, um, oh God, like the leader. He is such an underrated leader in that dressing room. The amount he celebrates and puffs his chest out in those moments, it reminds me of that Keown moment against Van Isseroy, or it reminds me of, um, you know, the duel between, I can imagine him getting uh, in a duel like the Vieira Keen. I can imagine him getting into it with like, a Premier League centre forward for the next five years. And I think it's a mentality thing. Like his mentality is so similar to the, to the, and I use the term winners very loosely, but like, because I can't find the right word, but that kind of idea that the, 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 abs- the pugilists, the battlers of that squad, that is what he is for us. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, one more. Saliba and Henri. Not just because they're French, yeah. but they have it's that the kind of... It's the coolness. It's the coolness. They, so they don't give a fuck. Cool. You can imagine, you can imagine the um, the free kick moment for Henri. You can imagine Saliba doing that. Like getting asked yeah. to retake a penalty in a penalty shootout and scoring it again and just being like... Yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, 100%. Uh, another, Just a final one. Um, Martin Keown and Martin... Erdegaard because they're because Martins. they're both called Martin they're Martins yeah do, have a moment to let that one sink in because that's a it's a pretty it's a pretty high level one that one so uh, yeah uh, Bradley we'll see you after this Welcome back to part two, and thank of you, thank thank of you, thank of you to those of you who are in the Diffnock Members Club. Join at patreon.com forward slash Diffnock and get access to ad-free versions of all of our content, including main and bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch, and bonus video content. I've done it again. Content. But just it's the same why can't one I say that? Time. Bonus video content. 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 For just three pounds a month. And for one time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jeff. Not what you can. Buy me a coffee. The links Do are it. in the description. We've had some sort of similar questions from a few people, so I'm going to put them all together. Uh, Let's do it. God. I'm so sorry. I'm going to butcher your name. Vrian or Vrijan Atawa? So sorry. I've butchered your name. 
let's dream big for a second. With the squad as it stands, what do you believe we need to do holistically? So not just in terms of transfers for us to be considered genuine Champions League contenders. I think that's a good question as well. Holistically, it's not just about uh, getting the right players in because I think there are some things we need to do. Uh, James Wright says, uh, I like the youth scouting video. I was wondering, not names, but for this summer, what type of profiles do you want to see Arsenal bring into the squad? Keep up the great content. Keep up the great comments, James. Yeah? Um, so I suppose I will ask this, really, is what do you think, and George, I'll come to you first, all in we need to do to kind of reach that next level? So what I would say is like, okay, let's say phase four, kind of champions, Champions League, having consistently challenging for titles, um, getting to finals hopefully semi-finals certainly quarterfinals of Champions League getting as far as we can in the Cups and consistently being that sort of cycle that Liverpool have enjoyed and what City are enjoying at the moment what what do you think needs to change at the club um, on and off the pitch it's a really small question so um, Mm. just you know just one sentence or more (laughs) (laughs) Um, what do we need I I think that the the biggest transformation that needs to happen with this squad is uh, believing their hype uh, I'll be honest, because uh, I do think that there's a certain different kind of pressure being the young and up-and-coming kids where teams are not expecting this kind of jump in quality. And I think that that's kind of the the jump that we made this season that maybe uh, is ahead of schedule. But I think becoming the title favorites and coming into the door and almost bursting and saying, I am the one that you have to beat is the next step, right? Like when I look at the I best team... The one, the one. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that's some of the best things about our best teams. When you had a look at the Invincibles, and it wasn't just the Invincible year itself, when the double beforehand, they they were a team that you kind of jotted down as favorites for the title at the beginning of the season. No, no doubts about it. Arsenal this season weren't that. We were a team that was considered for top four uh, by even the most optimistic of fans, and this has been a surprise. So I think the next step is becoming the title dominant, the favorites. Now, How do you do that? Uh, I do think it's about quality, I'll be honest. I think that we have done all of the uh, bargain deal basements of cleaning the rot. If we were looking at analogies right now uh, for building a house, we have cleaned it, we have replaced the electrical, we have replaced um, all of the key components, um, the plumbing, the HVAC, everything is in, the drywall is up, lads, it just needs the furniture to make it pop from just a space uh, and a house into a home, so to speak. So you definitely need um, <laughs> that extra bit of quality, I believe, to it's really get us there. Um, and there is just, there, there, are, there are two things that I really would like to see. Um, and that is from a midfield perspective, I do get your bingo out. Central running power um, and transition control are things that... Fucking hell, I know. George. Let it go. <laughs> Those, the, that is the one thing that I need from our midfield. And it, it kind of subsequently, like a Thomas Partey backup slash partner, um, which is what encompasses into that. So beyond names, uh, I also think that we need efficiency in front of goal. I kind of mentioned it previously in the podcast and in other podcasts. I just feel it is excellent that we have shared our goals. But to have our two strikers right now, again, I'm not critiquing them for their quality, but just fundamentally underperforming the amount of their XG that they're doing that will hurt you when you're trying to dominate football. Not when you're trying to achieve top four, not even to challenge at certain moments, but if you're trying to dominate in multiple trophies, I do feel we lack 
enough efficiency in the final third to be considered a top, top team. Um, and so I would like to recruit some more efficiency in that front line um, or in the attacking final third. So there's a couple ways that you can do that. But those are the two things that I believe that this team really needs because uh, when I start looking at our academy prospects, which again, another plug to go look at that podcast that we did, there are a lot of pro profiles that we have that you could see slot into the first team. But those two profiles that I just mentioned in terms of efficiency in the final third and somebody who could be a Thomas Partey backup or somebody that offers that transition control running power, that is something that we do kind of lack in terms of the academy. We lack a left-footed left center back. We lack a DM. And right now we've got exciting attacking potential, but that is still something that we might need to add to the squad. So those are the uh, two positions and two key things that I'd like to add this summer. Uh, Brad, I'll come to you for your uh, equivalent of your chaise lounge in a second. But um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll do off and on the pitch. Um, off, I'd love to see Arsenal regain, regain our swagger. Um, I think if you look at our commercial revenues over the last number of seasons, we're now down in like... 10th and 11th we used to be up in 5th and 6th um we used to be around the we used to be in the sort of buy-in real madrid um now man city conversations and we're now in the napoli tottenham juventus conversations and i don't want to be in them anymore um i don't want to be in the europa league i don't want to be in those conversations and you know i, I think i think we're entering a cycle where we won't be but i think getting that swagger back off the pitch uh getting that fear factor back um and that will just come with time you know that idea that it just comes with with pundits recognizing that, that that it's not 2017 anymore and we're we are a proper outfit so you know that's going to come um i think there's also just a period where we'll probably have to do a bit of reputation management something that like i criticized mikel for early doors i didn't didn't as brad will tell you i didn't criticize him much i um, never but, criticized him yeah <laughs> but something i did criticize him for was not controlling the narrative when when he could have about the Saliba thing, for example, when he's sending out Saliba out alone yeah. and kind of like fumbled the bag a little bit, and like got the paperwork in late. I mean, who knows what actually happened? I'm not saying that, but I think there was an opportunity, a number of points for Mikel to come out. I'm not saying us to do a sit down interview and whatever, but just to put something out through Ornstein or put something out through whatever. That this is the plan. Saliba will will be coming back. He'll be doing this thing, you know, or or Arsenal haven't decided yet, you know, whatever. Just don't let that space be open. And I think there needs to be some some sort of control of the narrative of going, you know, we've got a question in a second about like internationals and letting our players go off for internationals and things like just things like that. You know, City are smart about that. We're not. And I think we need to regain some kind of some smartness in in those types of areas. The the sort of what's the word? The I guess I guess kind of soft factory stuff, you know, getting those referee decisions, you know, something I, I feel like remember when Liverpool like did, oh, I'm going to set Brad off here, but drama Liverpool just didn't turn up for that Carabao Cup game because they falsified some COVID tests or something. Allegedly, don't don't start Brad. Um, but uh, yeah, you know stuff like that. Like I, I want to see Arsenal off the pitch, regaining that level of like, nah, we're fucking here, we're big. On the pitch, George, I'd align with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I think I like the goalkeeping group. Um, there's some. Uh, progressive overload to happen there with Ramsdale. I think there's some challenge there. I'd like to see from Turner. I'd like to, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little scrap at one point. You know, maybe some conversations around. Okay, was well, Turner going to start? You know, I'd I'd like to see to see that happening because I think Turner Turner has something, and I'd also like to see one of the young players coming through. I think in terms of defenders, I think we require probably one or two more. Um, whether that's the kind of Zinchenko analog or the um, 
the right back or whatever it is. I just think we need a few more, maybe one or two more big space athletic defenders in the same way that the group we're building of Gabriel, Saliba, um, Ben White, all the, uh, Tommy Asu, Kivior, they're big space athletic defenders. And we just need a few more of those to be able to cover for that and not, and not to be able to to lose our the facility and, and the shape of our press. Midfield, I think there's probably, yet yeah, George, I'd, I'd along with you, something in the base of the midfield that we need to do, something in left eight. I'm not sure it could be one, could be two. And up front, uh, as I've said uh, for a while, I think, there's, I think there's something to add to that front group, whether it's a... Um, a 25 goal a season number nine I don't know whether that's what Arteta wants to do um, but I just don't think you target the likes of Isaac and Blahovic and uh, all those guys without wanting that profile at some point whether it's you know the soup du jour Rasmus Hoyland or whoever so yeah there's there's a sort of outline um, I'm not sure how much we've left you with Brad but uh, go for it you've left me with Bergovic Williams Bellini, <laughs> I was going to say that earlier <laughs> Get your money out, muddy. Um, I mean, to to cut, it's it's very. There's there's two very simple points to make, and they all feed into the same thing. Arsenal are not going to be labelled as title contenders next season. We weren't even labelled as as top four contenders this season because we haven't yet changed the narrative about who we are as a club. And stubborn old pundits who still see football through the lens of two thousand and eight haven't grown enough yet so for me what we need to do is we need to run next season's title to the wire we need to be up there because anyone we've seen not anyone can do it once but Leicester have done it once and that will be the perfect get out of jail free card if we win it this season for your Gary Nevels and your other wankers who want to discredit achievement if we end up coming say fourth next season is go oh you know well Leicester won the league once, so obviously anyone can. We need to run next season's title to to the wire and to kind of bring everything under one umbrella of, of what you guys are saying. I think you do that through quality of depth. I think one thing that Arsenal have lacked this season in certain areas is quality of depth. At six, uh, left centre-back at points until this January. You know, we had Gabriel starting pretty much every single game for us. And I think that there's a bit of a quality of depth in terms of goal scoring up front. I think um, if we were to lose a Martinelli or a Saka right now, I don't, I don't trust Jesus's efficiency, um, and I'd, I'd worry about the run-in coming forward. So, um, like Alex has said, I think there's a profile to be added, whether that's a left winger, whether that's a right winger, whether that's a centre forward, or, or somebody who's positionally versatile but is there to be a bagsman. Brilliant. Um, but I think we it's quality and depth and we need to carry the torch forward next season. We can't allow ourselves to rest on our laurels mentally. And I don't think we will, but I think that's going to be the main thing that kind of changes the perception and the opinion around Arsenal. Liverpool didn't become title challengers until they challenged for the title a couple of times. You know, pe- people didn't give them, but people didn't give them that recognition. It's, no, but and you're right. You're right. It's just the way you said it sounded like Michael Owen. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but this, this is what I mean. You're, you're you, these on. are the people that, that, that commentate on our games to the wider audience. They say shit like, when they don't score, they hardly ever win. And for these people with such monkey pea brains, it takes time to work those ideas in. And we have to be up there next season. I need us to be second, if not first. If not, I want third and the distance between first and third to be two points. Like we need to be excellent next season. And the way to do that is, and I said it as a joke, but we have to get the money out in the summer. This is the summer for high quality acquisitions. As much as I think Fabio Vieira can blossom into a fantastic player, this is not the summer to pick up your Fabio Vieiras. This is your summer to go out there and to pick up your Declan Rices. Or if you're interested, pick up your Victor Osimens or Rafael Leaus or Harry Kane. I would love, a, I, just to be a shithouse, I would love a Sol Campbell 2.0. I think it would be fucking brilliant. But this is the time for us to to to... Get that, you know, classic war chest out, slap some big boy money on the table and act like a big club because that will appease people that equate spending large sums of money on players as being a big club. And that, I think, is the the narrative that we need to start changing because as, as phenomenal a job Mikel has done in the fact that we've spent 50 million euros on a single player, Fifty million pounds on a single player, Ben White. That's that's the highest we've gone so far. I think to to kind of convert the armchair analysts who do their work on Sky Sports and to convert the people who listen to them as a religion, you have to pander to that version of music sometimes. And uh, I think that that is what we need to do in the summer: spend big on high quality acquisitions, run the title close, and that's when narratives change. I think you're bang on, and I think you know we do need this. We need the swimming pool in the in George's house's backyard. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think ultimately it changes yeah. a lot of perceptions if we go out there and smash our transfer record. <laughs> smash such a tabloid word, but you know what I mean. You know, break our transfer record and get Declan Rice or what, or whatever it ends up being. I think I think that massively changes the 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 complexion. George has just done a very sharp intake of breath and wants to speak. Yes, well, at the expense of not leaving out very quickly on one of the pods. So uh, you, hopefully very, everybody very got their bingos straight in there. But um, listen, the uh, the type of player that you buy and you break your transferred record with, I think sets the precedent about what kind of club you're going to be for the next five years. Um, and, and what do I mean by that? The decision to spend money on Nicolas Pepe was wrong and right for a variety of reasons for many people. But one of the biggest things that it had as an impact was that I think it changed our transfer strategy for that next four years about looking for value. Most about making job. sure that we, Yeah, absolutely. And it, look, it made heads roll. But I think at the very least too, mate, like I think we've neglected getting the bigger money signings when we debated a Madison versus an Odegaard, for example, um, you know, the year before. We had the capacity to do it, but we definitely had a very clinical decision not to. And, and I think that came from PTSD from the Nicolas Pepe transfer just as much as Nicolas Pepe himself was a poor transfer. I think it rolled in to really giving a kind of role for some of the other execs that we may not have known. You know, when you look at Tim Lewis, why, why was he brought in? It was because of Nicolas Pepe, make no mistake about it, right? So w- when you're trying to project about what that next step forward. is... 
Yeah, uh, yes, his hairline is something to behold. You know, what what is a oh bird meme entered here? Um, Fuck it out. But I, I think when that man could have brain surgery and they wouldn't have to shave his head. Right. Uh, I mean, look, it's 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 really quite funny when when you get to laugh about this <laughs> stuff after years of making correct recruitment decisions. No, I'll tie it up on essentially saying, I think that there's a different kind of pressure to spending big money than there is to getting bargain value. We have succeeded in the one part of the market in terms of exploiting and maximizing our value. What we haven't quite proven is spending that big money and every big club does it at some point. And again, we have done it in the past. Burkamp wasn't a small transfer for everybody that was going back in the history. That was a very big transfer at the time and it, and it moved waves. We need our Ozil Burkamp transfer. Now, we all know what kind of carbohydrate we want it for it to be, but that is an important part of an era of dominance that I don't think gets recognized yeah. by fans, and I don't think we've done well in five-plus years. So it is a very big step, and I want to give it its due forewarning, let's say. I don't think that Declan is a bad person to spend it on. It's the one that I want it to be, but I'm just saying... These big transfers matter, and they do define eras to a certain extent. So it needs to be done right. Shock horror. A big transfer needs to go well, but it does. And to kind of curtail George's sentiment, we cannot get beaten to a, to a top target again, especially if we've just won the league. That is to the casual fan and uh, a story that is perpetuated in the news as an embarrassment. And when you're trying to, even if it isn't, and even if, you know, actual people who look at things objectively don't see it as that, if we're trying to change the entire perception of the club, we cannot afford for that to happen again. It happened with Vlaovic. Um, it's happened with Mudrik. And as much as with Mudrik, it's worked in our favour for us. And with Vlaovic, it seems to have worked in our favour for us. I think that it's really important that this summer, if we're coming out in the news and saying Declan Rice is our top target, that better not be a red herring and that better be the top target and that better be signed, sealed and delivered, I'm yours, Stevie Wondered, on fucking June 1st or 31st or whenever the window opens. Because that is also something that shifts perception in an instant, the ability to have a top target, negotiate it, done. And not not again have the carpet pulled. Yeah, my natural cynicism says I'm not sure it matters that much as long as you get your target. But I do. I actually, to be honest, I think it does. I think it. I think, and it's about again. It's it's back to controlling the narrative. I think don't share anything with the media unless it is absolutely 100% fact. And you know, we've we've seen a huge uh, concerted effort at Arsenal to keep keep things quiet, keep things behind closed doors. The Fabio Vieira thing came out as it was happening and that was a, you know, 30 million pound deal. You know, this this is a big, big move. It wasn't, you know, just out of, um, you know, and clearly they've been following him for a while. So I think we can do it. And I think, yeah, it's about controlling the narrative and not allowing these kind of Mudrik, Vlahovic type uh, sagas to happen. Because um, I, I think you're right. It does. I think in the end, it does it does matter to to some to some degree. Let's do a few more questions then to close out the show. Very quickly. Um, reading arguments. This is from George Taylor. Reading arguments, both sides, on whether Rodri trying to crock Erdegaard was premeditated or not. While Haaland withdrew to, inverted quotes, groin injury, do Arsenal need to get cuter on preventing their players going on international duty in the future? 
Brad. Yes, hundred percent. George, the title's more <laughs> the title's more important than these random uh, qualifiers. I don't understand why. Um, why? And I can understand Tierney, and I can understand certain players who maybe haven't been getting minutes going off and going out because it's good practice for them. But if Haaland's pulling out, Erdegaard should have pulled out, in my opinion. Um, and it, do you know what? It doesn't even need to be a pullout. It's just a you can have a conversation with with the managers of the national team and set limits and expectations. Go to Gareth Southgate and say, more than happy for you to call up Saka, but he's playing 90 minutes in one of your games and that's it. And if you play him over that, we'll just pull him from the squad. Yeah, I, th- because- I think we've got to exert some kind of control because I, I think, for example, with someone like uh, Sambi Lekonga to Belgium, I feel like you just get what you're given. Do you know what I mean? But we're talking about the captain of Norway and we're talking about the guy who will start right wing for England, right? So I think it's like going... Look, he either plays these amount of minutes or he doesn't go. I, th- I think we've got to start being like that, uh, especially at these. You know, in the summer, you can play what he wants, but I do agree. I think there's got to be. I also some want Kieran of... Tierney to break Rodri's legs. <laughs> God. These are the views of Bradley Adams. Not the that, was, uh, that was that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, listen, I'll, I'll give a slightly unpopular perspective here because I, I think that uh, when you get a reputation for that in terms of the national team. Uh, A, these players want to play more than I think people realize, um, especially being the captain of Norway and especially being the starting right winger of England. Um, And make no mistake about it, their application in those games are going to reflect their standard. They know the value of the title run-in. And I do feel maybe some of this is a little bit to do with our fear of load management to a certain extent. Because the risk of injury for me happens any time that those players step on the pitch. That includes training. Uh, You you can have a bad tackle, a bad turn, a bad this, a bad that. Um, One of the biggest things I think for me is that we get the squad recruited to a degree that we're not fearing our players going on to internationals. Because uh, I think a big part of the success of a club is reflected in the amount of internationals that they may boast. Um, And I think that one of the biggest declines that we had both in our academy and as a club right now, was getting the amount of players that were selected for England greatly reduced. I think it reduces the quality that you've got in your squad. So I'm not, I think I agree partly with getting cuter, I think. I think there's definitely times that we can maybe exert our influence as a big club. Uh, but in general, I think these players are going to push to want to represent their countries because uh, they're going to love to play for them. And so we're, we're going to have to maybe get better at completing the squad and managing minutes as a whole, uh, as opposed to maybe relying on us saying, listen, don't go, mate, don't do these things, because I, I do think it creates a rift uh, for player and yeah. and country themselves. No, I, th- I, I absolutely agree. I, I don't think it's ever about saying don't go, because I, I also don't think that's fair. I, I, I really don't think that's fair for an, for a, for an Arsenal manager to, to say to his player, don't go and play for your country. If you want to do that, you should ultimately you're the player you're the one who's paid that amount of money a week and you should be able to do what you want so i i understand that i just think it's, it's kind of what you said and kind of um what the question asked from george taylor is kind of going we've just got to be a little bit cuter we've just got to be a little bit more like hang on could we say one of our england guys doesn't go away this time or whatever or, can i ask or, you guys you know, another a- question at, at at the expense of maybe taking over the host thing is do you think a lot of this fear from internationals is because of the desperation for a title. Um, and the yeah, fact that 100%. it is... And Absolutely. It, and let's say the team had already achieved a title in the past. 
would these perspectives on the internationals be as strong? So, i.e., no, if we no, had won titles, would people be as afraid, let's say? If this, we haven't won a title in nearly 20 years. This is our first chance, really, since 2016, 2015-16, at a title. And I think that it's a really big and momentous moment. And it's also, it's the thing is, is the feeling towards it is also delineated by what other clubs, teams and people are doing around it. If Haaland goes and plays these internationals and the same with Foden or the same with Rashford, there's no conversation. But I think what the conversation becomes is um, these other clubs are doing it. We're not. And this is our first chance as a title in a long time. Why aren't we? Like, what? why, why aren't we when this title means fuck all to Man City in reality? Of course, they'd love to win it. Who wouldn't love to win a Premier League? But they've won four of the last five. If you compare how much winning this title would mean to Man City versus how much winning this title would mean to Arsenal, it's inconsequential. But if you... That's that's it. If you look at the fact that Man City are doing these things, possibly to get a leg up. And also, you know, we are assuming that these injuries are fake. You know, so... They might be carrying knocks to the point where if they play 90 minutes for their for their country uh, or 180 minutes twice in two weeks, they could get injured. I, I just think that it's more to do with our own kind of nervousness and precipitation about the title running. And then we're watching our title rivals do it. So then to see Arsenal not do it at all, we're kind of going... Why are the people that have done this before doing it and we're not? What is there to learn? What is there to do? Kind I of think thing. You're, I, I think you're right, Brad. It's difficult to tell, isn't it? I mean, who knows? I'm sure that's a part of it, George. But also, I like I, I as I said, I don't think you can. I don't think you can tell a player what to do. But I, I just think we can. You know, I'm looking at like, okay, let's just take Harlan and Foden because they're our title rivals, right? Harlan's injury is a knock. And we know players at times play through pain. We we know they do. We like we know they have little little niggles, little problems, whatever. We know they just take a painkiller and get through the game, and just have a little rest and recovery day the next day, and they, and they end up being fine. They play through it. Foden, you know, not to be uh, what's the word cynical, but the, I literally looked up appendix appendicitis uh, recovery time two weeks, and you're like, okay, so you know, and I'm sure with a proper he's had an appendectomy, and that's you know NHS recovery time so i'm sure with private club doctors that's a little, a little bit quicker so i just think i don't think it's appendicitis pro- i think he's had his appendix out okay well yeah i, I looked I, basically i looked up how much time it takes to recover from getting your appendix out and i think it said it said like two two to four weeks on the nhs so it'll be quicker with proper club doctors yeah anyway point being i think there's times that we can go okay saka's going away he's fine he just he's going to play ultimately it's probably good to keep him in the rhythm of competition whatever and there's probably other times where we can say Saka's got a bit of a niggle which he could play through could but does he does he have to is it is it absolutely necessary and have we already built up enough enough credit with him and uh, with the player in England can we have some open and honest and not not deceptive conversations with England and say look we're in a situation here. We are in a special situation here. We'd like Bakayo to just, you know, play half of one of the games. You know, I, I don't think it's too much to ask. I, I will say, like, 
the uh, after making the unpopular vote I, I want us to be more cute i do who fan what fan doesn't want that to happen but you know i do feel that that is also part of becoming a title challenging team by the way that you have the authority to do those things yeah you can pull uh, rank it's sir alex yeah, ferguson absolutely and and that's coming with the referees by the way that comes with how the fa has been treating arsenal all all year i think there is a certain as right or as wrong as it might be a little bit of a wait period that until you get the trophy shut up mate like we're taking your player and then i buy that and then once you get it you kind of be able to say well listen no unless you're edu and you have a personal connection to the team like the brazilian national yep. team but i yeah. i wonder i was thinking this the other day if arsenal are kind of the next cycle because if you look at what sky have done they got they got they had liverpool and Man, liverpool and Man united the two biggest clubs in gary and jamie then they added another Man United guy, another better than Man City guy. And if Arsenal are going to be uh, in, sorry, in Roy Keane, um, so there are two Man United, uh, Sooners and Neville, and two and two from Liverpool in uh, Carragher and, uh, you know what I mean, two and two. Then they've got a City guy, and I think we'll add an Arsenal guy. And I think that will have a big a big impact on stuff. Because I think, you know, whether whether it ends up being Merson or whatever, but the, he's probably going to, we're going to have to have some Arsenal representation in the mainstream media. Of course, I would love that to be, you know Bradley Adams or Clive Palmer, but you know, like I think, I think even that, as you say, is a part of um, the, the the conversation. Right, we've got to wrap the pot up, so we've got to finish off with this question, and I want a two-word answer, and that answer will be um, no two two-word answers, uh, and that will answer will be a name. Who do you guys believe will be the most important and influential player in the run-in? considering the set of games we have to play. That question is from David Fitzpatrick. And he goes on to say, and who is the potential unsung hero? Uh, let's do, let's do most I've got important player. Most important player, Thomas Partey. Okay. I think that you look at, you look at what? Seven. Oh, okay. Nine. You don't want to explain it. <laughs> nah, go, go, go. Fine. Just Thomas Partey. Thomas Partey. I just think you, we, we could, we, like, th there's there's ways to fix other problems. We haven't found the way to fix that problem yet and perform to the best of our abilities. Yep. Uh, George? Gabriel Martinelli. Um, I think six goals and six is going under the radar. As much as I love Bukayo Saka, I, I think if goals for me are going to be the ones that decide the games in the title run-in. And for me, he's going to be so important. I think I would probably say one of your two answers. The other one that I would say is in the conversation, but just to be different, Gabriel. I think I think if we lost Gabriel, I think he's my we'd be unsung in, hero. He'd be, yeah, he's he'd be mine as well. We'd be in deep <laughs> trouble. We okay, we unsung hero. Then which, in which case I'll go for unsung hero. Uh, it is Gabriel. Well, it is Gabriel. Yeah, it just it probably is. is Gabriel as well. Do you know what I mean? It is. Every yeah. other player has received their plaudits from rival fans, from from pundits. He is the one player yet I feel to, that has yet to receive yeah. his full set of flowers. He's received his full set of teeth from Turkey. He's received <laughs> his full new hairline. He hasn't received his flowers for how good he's been this season. I think in years to come, the litmus test for whether you actually watched Arsenal in their title winning season will be who was the better centre-back, Gabriel or Saliba. Yeah. Because Saliba, we know Saliba will go on to probably have the better career, right? 
But if you actually watch the games this season, Gabriel's been more important for us, no doubt. Uh, another player, uh, sorry, since we've managed to kind of be uniform, is Ben White. Um, duh, George, he's oh. the only option at right back. Um, but no, I think it's beyond that. <laughs> Man, I, I need to I keep think, fit. Yeah, I, I think it's beyond just fitness. I think Ben White's going to be massively important in terms of providing us that attacking threat. Like if I look, uh, I kind of credited Gabriel Martinelli for the goals, but I just think the right-hand side of our pitch is the one that we use to finish more often than not and I think he's vital if he's not on it the rotations between Odegaard and Saka aren't as crisp you don't get efficiency yada yada he is the glue for me that really makes that right hand side tick let's fucking go guys you have to understand why he is the glue the whole system together you want to play fucking Champions League no no it's when he screams. It's when he screams in Nuno's face. No, no, I kill you in the first half, but you fucking deserve it. You fucking deserve it, guys. <laughs> you want to play Champions League? Do you know what I'd love? I'd love Nuno Tavares to just come back and play one game this season. Just for oh, yeah. Pick up a medal, John against, Terry style. Like, yeah. Like, who, who could it be against? Who could it be against? Wolves, just like, final day. Comes on. There you go. Scores yeah. a rocket from 50 yards. And then gets sent off. <laughs> I'll always say this. He plays like he's in a YouTube compilation. Every time he, he does. does an action, he oh. plays, it's just something incredible. And it, it could be bad or good. But <laughs> uh, That Brad, man we... has all the facility to just be such a good footballer. But he just... Oh. He plays like somebody else has got the FIFA controller. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, oh, we have just, just got time. Just... just. For a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Thank you so much. Last time out, I asked you, uh, the theme was Irish and Northern Irish players for Arsenal, and I asked you, Pat Rice, ex-Arsenal assistant manager and player, played what position for Arsenal? Do you know, George? It's between two, but I don't want to be an idiot. Um... I think... It's right back. I'm pretty sure it's right back. Oh, gosh. What do you think? What are your two? Uh, it was defence. Uh, it was centre back or it was defensive midfielder. Um, let's go with yours because we've gone with mine before. You, you, you seem pretty confident about that. I'll go with yours. Are you sure? Yes. Yes. Okay. So right back? Yes. Yeah. Bang on. There we go. <laughs> the I'm only reason that yours. I think I remember this <laughs> is good, Pat Rice, um, he became a scout after being assistant manager for a while. Um, and I was on football manager and I'd always re-sign him as my assistant manager. And so I'd always read his little bio and it, he was, it said he was a right back. Uh, yeah. Your question. Good old football manager, teaching you stuff every day. This week was about players who have scored the goal that won the game, well, or perhaps drawn the game in this place, that won the Premier League. Players who have scored the goal that won the game that won the Premier League. And your question is, who scored the two goals, well, who were the two scorers to uh, score the goals to win the league at White Hart Lane in 2004? Who were the two scorers who scored the two goals to win the league at White Hart Lane in 2004 and a theme please Branley Scrapples although I didn't actually give you any time to think about it so fair enough if you uh, 
That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Do not worry. Do you know what we're going to go for? We're going to go for record record transfer signings for the Arsenal because we were discussing that in this podcast with Nicholas Pepe. Very, very good. Record transfer signings. Lovely. Um, okay, final question. Are Spurs shit? Thank you for listening. Keep it different up. <laughs> do, you, do we even need to answer at this point? Yeah, is that a question? We don't need to answer that. It's not, it's not a question. What, I thought what it was just shit? a statement. George, so, George, so professional. George is like, oh yeah? Yeah? We good? I can answer that. <laughs> George gives us this like long, detailed sort of Chaucer-esque answer detailing all of the ins and outs of Antonio Conte's back catalogue of lovers and Brad just comes in and goes the fucking shit. (laughs) The fucking shit. (laughs) Right boys, anything else? Nah. No, all good. Well, any plans this evening, George? Sleep. Sleep. That that, Sleep. that is is a work day. Yes, sleep. Good plan. You seen the half zip though. I always forget yeah, that like he's got the quarter zip. Do you ever have that feeling? Good. I still have that feeling of like, oh, thank God, I don't have to go to school tomorrow. <laughs> I oh, still oh, have that. Yeah. yeah. I still. I, have I get it. that about Art's Ed all the time. All the time. Art's Ed's the school Brad and I went to. Yeah. yeah. It's uh. Yeah. It's so weird. Does that ever go away, listeners? If you're still listening and you're over thirty, does that ever go away? Just like that still thing. You know, Sunday night when I'm like, oh, thank God, I don't have to go to school tomorrow. It's so oh, long. You know what the worst part Living is? Living with clinical uh, depression, my, but my, I don't my have to get is a, My partner is a teacher, so I don't think I'm escaping that ever. Like she, yeah, you've she got goes Sunday to nights. school regularly, so I'm not escaping mate, that. that feeling on a Sunday night, going to school the next day. Oh, mate. That oh. was the worst. Songs of Praise on BBC, <laughs> Sunday evening. Alexander, have you done your homework? Ah! Right. Nina's need to get your food for food tech. Waking up in the morning. Mum, I need I need self-raising yeah, yeah. and 12 um, eggs. Mum, I need 47 <laughs> eggs by tomorrow morning at nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alexander. <laughs> I've only got three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right before this turns into a therapy session properly let's leave it there thanks as always for listening keep it different knock and we will see you later peace peace thank you so much for listening to the different knock and arsenal podcast please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at DiffKnock. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.